0: Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hind. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. I want to thank our sponsor for this episode, Now Foods. I've been partnering with them for several months now. I love them. They're family-owned. They've been a leader in the natural food health industry since 1968. They have vitamins, supplements, sports nutrition, food, essential oils, all that good stuff. I use their protein powder, a creamy vanilla plant protein complex. I use that. After all of my hard workouts, I make myself a smoothie, hard workouts, and long runs. Now Foods is offering listeners of the podcast a 25% discount. If you haven't taken advantage of that yet, I encourage you to do so. When you support sponsors of this show, you are directly supporting the podcast. You can go to now-2-u.com to save 25% off your next order. Just use the promo code ANOTHER, all caps. All right, you guys, I'm talking with Chrissy Mail today for episode 64 She's an ultra runner, she's a coach, she's an author. She's the two time ultra trail, the Mont Blanc champion. So I have a group of friends completing rim to rim to rim. Actually, literally they're doing it right now as I speak. I'm recording this episode on Wednesday and this episode comes out Friday. They are in the canyon right now. So rim to rim to rim is you start at the top of the Grand Canyon, you go all the way down to the bottom, all the way back up the other side, back down to the bottom, and then back up to the top where you started. It's a crazy day and um, it's actually kind of funny because I, in my delusional state, I don't know why I was delusional, I thought maybe I'd go do that trip with these people. You know, I have a six and a half month old, that would be normal to train for something like that. And um, soon after Russell was born in October, I decided that's probably not the best time for me to you know, do that right now. It's not to say that I couldn't have done it, but it's just time time-wise, time-management-wise, it probably wouldn't have been a very healthy thing for me to do, but I'm cheering them on here from Indiana, and it's so exciting to me to think that they're in the Grand Canyon right now. My whole point with that, though, is one of the girls, Casey Kenley, posted a TED Talk that Chrissy Mail, who is the guest on this episode, did, and she has completed Room to Room to Room in a very, very fast time, so that's why my friend Casey posted her TED Talk. Well, Chrissy's TED Talk inspired me enough that I immediately emailed her, found her contact information, and asked her to be a guest on my show. And she so kindly responded quickly, and we got this all set up. Now, in this episode, I feel like I don't do her justice of all the accomplishments that she has actually done. We don't get into everything because there are so many of them. She was actually, in 2005, the youngest woman to complete the Grand Slam of ultra running. That is four 100-mile races. Um, within a year that she did. Very cool. You guys can look up Grand with Ultra Running if you are interested in that. And I talked about that a little bit in my episode back in the day with Claire Dietrich, which is pretty cool. She's won several ultra marathons. She has the fastest known time to complete uh, uh, the rim of Lake Tahoe, which we talk about in this episode. She has circumnavigated Mount Kilimanjaro. She is all about adventure. Though Chrissy is a competitive person, she's competitive when she gets out there and she runs, um, what you'll learn in this episode, and what she talks about a lot in the in the TED Talk that she did, is having her priorities set straight before even starting a race. And um, I'm going to let her explain all that to you guys, but I walked away from this episode thinking, man, when I get to the starting line of a race, I need to have my priorities in check. I need to be thankful that I even have the ability to get out there and do what I'm doing. A simple, simple piece of advice, which my husband, Glenn, who is a much faster runner than me, has taken it upon himself to run my races with me this year, at least a lot of them, and kind of pace me and talk me through those end miles when it might be hurting and hard. And one thing that Chrissy talks about in this episode, and one thing that he always tells me while I'm fighting through some pain to try to get to the finish line, is just smile. If you just smile, get your mind back on the right place, like, oh... I get to do this. This is really hard. This is a gift that I get to do this. That's a pretty incredible thing. It's a pretty incredible thing that a simple smile can really turn your attitude around in a race. And that's not just a stay in a race. We can take that anywhere we go in life. So anyway, I walked away from this episode feeling encouraged and feeling excited to tackle some new goals. You guys can follow Chrissy on social media. It's just at Chrissy Mail. And let me tell you how you spell her last name. It's M-O-E-H-L. You guys hang around to the end of this episode because I've got some updates on my little casual mini live show I'm doing next Friday and then the big live show that I'm doing in September. Hang around for those details and enjoy my conversation with Chrissy. Okay, so we're talking with Chrissy Mayo Mm -hmm. and she's a badass ultra runner. (laughs) Do you like that title?
1: Uh I don't know. I've just been <laughs> at it a really long time. This is almost what am I? This is 17 years of ultra running.
0: Yeah. Where are you from? I grew up in
1: Bow, Washington, which is just north of Seattle, about an hour and a half north of Seattle and have lived all over. I moved 11 times in 11 years and recently relocated, I guess about a year ago, back to Bellingham, which is um a little bit north of Bow about a not an hour south of the Canadian border.
0: Okay. Like, what's your what's your life before ultra running?
1: Life before ultra running, I joke that I grew up uh, roughing it. For my family was motorhome without plugins, so we would go camping and we did a cross the country trip. I went to you know public school, high school, University of Washington, and while at the UW, I studied abroad in Ecuador. And when I came back, the running shoe store that I was, had been working for had been bought by a guy named Scott McCubrey, and he hired and brought this guy from Minnesota out to work for him named Scott Jerk. And I went back begging for my job back so I could finish up school. And I mean, here I was amongst the who then became legends in our sport. And that's when I learned that I really loved being in the mountains and not on the roads so much how's that for a brief summary?
0: (laughs) Were you running on the roads a lot at that point? Like, did you run in school or anything?
1: I was, I was a walk on for the university of Washington in my freshman year and ran all through my junior year. And when I came back from, I guess I was spent half of my junior year in Ecuador. So when I came back from Ecuador, I decided to work instead of participate on the teams. Mm -hmm. And that's when I, I was working with those guys and they were taking me out on the trails every weekend.
0: So this was like before Scott Durek was like a household name in the running community. He had just
1: won his first Western State, so he had like kind of done his burst onto the scene when I met
0: him. Oh, cool. Did I read you were an 800-meter runner?
1: Yeah, and um in high school and college.
0: Does that seem so weird now? That's such a blink of an eye race for you. In a way it does, but then also it's a super mentally
1: tough race. Uh-huh. There's a lot of strategy to it and I've actually, like Luann Park, and she's the one that first pops to mind, but a lot of other ultra runners that I've met over the years, especially women, have that same connection to the track and field world. And they were 800 or 1500 meter runners as opposed to long, long distance, which you would kind of think that that's where we would have spent our time. But it was more of those mentally tough races that those ultra runners and then come from.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even, I had never even thought about that. I just kind of assumed that people that were ultra running wouldn't be, um, you know, from the shorter distance, I guess mm. that's, that's still considered distance running in track and field, but. Oh, totally. I ran into my college coach,
1: maybe five years into being an ultra runner and, he said, like two, like you know, it was like two sentences was our conversation. He's like, I guess I never found the right distance for you, huh, oh, Chrissy? Mail. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Oh, I think it was all good lead up. <laughs> they
0: they weren't offering hundred miles in college, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, so when did you do your first ultra distance race?
1: In two thousand, I ran the Chuckanut fifty k. So okay. that was March of my senior year of college.
0: Okay. And so then when did you bump up to like 50 and then a hundred? 50 pretty quick. Well, let's see, 2000,
1: 2001. I was injured mostly after tucking it. So I didn't do any other ultras the rest of 2000. And then I, my next ultra was the white river 50 in July of 2001. And then I got hired by Montreal footwear in August and then started just my job was to travel around and support athletes and events. So I was at all these events and after I'd shown the shoes and talked to the athletes, the race starts. So I would line up with them and I got to run races all over the country and then eventually the world. So it went pretty fast.
0: How many hundred milers have you done?
1: Oh, I don't know. I think it's close (laughs) to 20. I had to tally it all up for the cover of my book. They wanted to have that as a, you know, something listed on there. And I was close to 20 at that point for hundred milers.
0: So I was talking to my husband a little bit about this interview. He is, I guess I can call him an ultra runner. He's done two fifties and he's done a hundred K and he wanted to know, so you've done, you know, Western States and all these well-known races, but you've also done crazy stuff. Like you circumnavigated the circumference of the Mount Kilimanjaro and things like that what do you prefer? Like, do you like both equally or what do you prefer to do?
1: At this point, I'm enjoying the adventures more Mm -hmm. and planning and looking at maps and figuring out where I want to go. But I base that on all of the years, probably about, it's been like the last two or three years that that's been more of my pursuit. But those early, those first 10, 15 years of ultra running, like I said, I came from a background of like motorhoming, like I don't, I didn't know how to be in the mountains. I didn't understand weather patterns, terrain, what to watch for gear, all of that. Those really important pieces to moving safely in the mountains came through training and racing. So so I feel like I've learned a lot through the ultra running community and the people that brought me into the sport. And now I get to take that information to another realm of the sport. So it's not without It's not like, I oh, I don't like that. That was a really instrumental piece. And I still like to get out there. I ran Cascade Crest last year, which was a super fun, welcome back to the Pacific Northwest type event. And I still love and enjoy doing that kind of stuff, but I feel not but. And I feel like I'm just shifting and using that information in different ways to do more exploratory
0: events. And like Kilimanjaro was a part of that and seeing what
1: was possible.
0: Mm. I feel like a lot of people like, me, for instance, I've never done an ultra. I've run several marathons, but I feel like, and, and this might sound sexist, but I feel like females particularly might be, might shy away from ultra running because I mean, for one, I'm scared to get lost in the woods, you know? Oh yeah. Like I always tell my husband, I want to do a 50, but I want him to run it with me so that I don't have to worry about getting lost.
1: Gotcha. I, we've had quite a few conversations about this more recently because I feel like it not just, not just me, but I f- feel women in general are curious about the sport and what it looks like and do they need to be scared? And the trail sisters blog, uh, trail sisters.net did a great piece where all of us, all the contributors wrote onto uh, different forums about safety and what it, what it is to be out in the mountains and what, what we get from being out there and how that trumps any fear and, one of the points I brought up is truthfully, I am more fearful of humans than I am animals. Mm. I think people get scared of the terrain and the elements because they're not familiar with them. So if you can get yourself out there with people that are familiar with and how to move safely, you can learn the, the pieces that will make you feel safe. What gear do you need to have in your pack so that it's not scary to be out there by yourself?
0: Well, when you say you're more scared of people than animals, do you mean like if you're out running in the woods by yourself and some creepers out there? I would say running in the
1: city is more. I'm more scared being around a bunch of people that I don't know. Like in the woods, I'm not. I'm not. I figure if people are out there, they're mostly they enjoy it, right? If they're going to be in the places that I get to, it takes work to get there. So they probably um, hopefully are there with the same intention as I am to enjoy right. the neat, the out greater outdoors. I mean, with everything, there's always risk. There's always chance. I get on a, pl- I, in the years past, I've gotten on a plane way too much. And I feel like there's just as much risk there if you're not aware of your surroundings. So just to getting the information you need to feel safe, having the gear and, and, and same information with you to, to make the best decisions and with whatever comes up, whether it's traveling and getting on buses and trains and moving through airports, or if it's, you know, putting a pack on your back and venturing out into the woods with a map and a uh, phone, maybe for GPS, if that, if you have service or at least have a paper map to understand and the skills to read a paper map to be able to figure it out. So yeah, just giving yourself the tools that you need to feel safe out there, just like you would to get in your car and drive.
0: Do you feel safe and do you feel comfortable when you go out and do, like, you know, say, like, a 20-mile trail run just on a random trail by yourself?
1: Definitely. And I think it's because I grew up in the sport. Like, I didn't – I remember my early days not wanting to get left behind. Like, Mm -hmm. I was always running with the boys, and I didn't want to be left in the woods. And so that was a good prompt to run faster and train harder. But then through that and being in the space with people that were comfortable out there and could – Talk me through things that were challenging, or if I was fearful at all, then I I quickly gained the confidence just to be out there by myself. Like, learning how to, like I said, read terrain, read maps, know how to move through, have the right gear so I didn't get cold, eat enough so you can keep thinking clearly. I think sometimes that adds to it. When you get depleted, we get more fearful. Bigger emotions come up. So, just yeah taking care of all the systems so that you can operate well
0: now when i was watching your ted talk you kind of had your your theme was kind of like you choose to you're you're choosing to be there and so you're choosing to be there and so since it's your choice you're there by choice you're going to make the most of the situation even though it's hard
1: yeah yeah smile yeah
0: <laughs> i love that And your whole point was also like making sure that everybody else enjoys being there as well. And then your third goal is to get competitive. How do you prioritize that when you're racing?
1: I feel like I can't jump to that third element of being competitive until those first two have been accomplished. And if I jump and I prove to myself at Western States, you skip ahead, you miss out on the important pieces that line you up for success.
0: So when in Western states, were you kind of saying you just got out there to be competitive and you forgot about those other two factors? Is that kind of it?
1: I wouldn't say I forgot. I wasn't as aware of their importance and how I raced. That was like the lesson that showed me how I've been successful in my running. So I went in there thinking, you know, I'm just going to, I mean, I cleared a space on my shelf at home for that Cougar. Like I thought I was bringing home. I was going to go at it to win it. And I after having the experience that I had there, I realized that that's not how I've won any previous race. Like I didn't go into it thinking I would win. I always mm-hmm. went into it very humble, accepting of the experience that I was to have that day. And then when the opportunity came to go, if I had it, I could. And that's not usually led, that did lead to success where who knows? I mean, you know, whoever was out on the field that day, if it hadn't been as hot or whatever, maybe I would have won and my my outlook on this would be completely different. But mm-hmm. what I took away from that day was, you know, I've got a good recipe for success and I really enjoy it when I do it this way. I didn't, sitting in the medical tent for six hours after was not very much fun. I don't want to feel that way. So thankfully the race happened in the way that it did so that I have this takeaway that's, I think, leads to longevity in the sport and a more sustainable attitude. I'm not going to over race myself. I'm not going to approach the racing world with such vigor that I can't sustain it. Anyway, I, I hope that makes sense. <laughs> that, that's it's it's. I mean, I'm 17 years into it. I'm healthy. I turned 40 this year. I've been running for almost, well actually, for more than half my life. I I hope that all of these things that I'm piecing together is Is telling of being able to continue to do it
0: all right you guys before i continue my conversation with chrissy i want to thank the downtown ursay family ymca for supporting this episode of the podcast and supporting my podcast in general love the why love the community feel love everything they're doing And this month, between May 15th and May 31st, they have a no-join fee. So if you're considering joining, this is the perfect time to do it. On top of that, if you go to any of the downtown Y locations here in Indianapolis, First Day Family Y, Anthenaeum, or the Indy Bike Hub, you'll get a free $25 program credit if you just mention my name, Lindsay Hines. So that can go towards adult sports, youth sports, swimming lessons, any of those paid classes or programs they have, you can apply that to. $25 program credit. are also doing the 15 days of family fun and fitness. Um, going on at the three downtown Wise, May 15th through the 28th. There's going to be all kinds of fun stuff like MX4 demos, reptile show, cookout, free swim clinic, group exercise classes, glow parties, and more. My boys are going to be loving that. And on Friday, next Friday, May 26th. If you are local or near the Indy area, I would love it. I would love, love, love it if you would join me for a very casual live show. I'm going to be recording a live show with Samantha Smith um, next Friday, May 26th at 6.30 p.m. at the Ursay Family Y. This is going to be a really special episode. My friend Lara, who's been on this podcast, introduced me to Samantha and We had just finished the 500 Festival Mini Marathon downtown here um, two weeks ago, and Samantha was running her first half marathon. Samantha has been kind enough to come on the show and share her story. She has so much faith, and she is so positive. I can't wait to talk to her, and I can't wait to share her story with you guys. And it's open to the public. So if you are local or close to the Indianapolis area, we'd love to have you come down and uh, be a part of that live show. Thank you so much to the Ursa Family Wife for supporting this podcast. It means so much to me when my local community here gets behind me. And I love that this podcast reaches people all over the country and the world even, but it's cool to have a little touch of home in it too. All right, guys, let's continue my conversation with Chrissy. I know you're going to walk away from this episode inspired and refreshed. Now, okay, for everybody listening, because I I know there are some ultra runners who listen to this podcast, but probably the majority of people are more half marathoner, marathoners, even five. Gotcha. Characters. Okay. Can you kind of explain what Western States is, and what's the um you know what the big deal is of of winning that race, and how actually competitive that field is? Really competitive.
1: Western States is the oldest hundred mile race for uh, for our sport. Gordy Ainsley is a famous name in that realm of that world of Western states. He was a, the race was originally and still exists as the Tevis cup, this, this horse race and his horse came up lane and he decided to run it, run the course himself, start to finish and was the first one to finish it. And then the next year there were a couple buddies that joined him and then it's grown from there to um, continue as a, an event with that history. I, a lot of people, put a lot of emphasis on, understandably so, being a part of that history and being getting to run in the the first 100-miler. And with all of the work that they've done, creating a board and maintaining the trail and dealing with um, – part of it's now in wilderness areas, so they, they've done all sorts of permitting that makes – just adds even more to the story and then because of the permitting there's limited numbers there's just a lot of hype that comes around that event for it's it's got to be 40 almost 40 years old wow. now i think they celebrated 35 just a couple of years ago maybe 40s this year um yeah just getting to be a part of that piece of history is a, a big draw in the ultra running world
0: and um you have to qualify right you the qualifications have changed over the years. Okay. Originally, you had
1: to have run a 50 miler, so some people could use Western States as their first 100 miler. I am not. I believe at least you have to run a 100K. You may have to run a 100 miler. Somebody can clarify that for me. But they have changed, and what's necessary for the runner to participate in the race has increased in terms of distance.
0: Well, and do you have to have completed it at like a certain um, and place at a certain place or run it as a certain time to qualify to get in is that is that you yeah you
1: you have to run a qualifying time which means one of the races that they deemed uh, as a qualifier within the time allotted so each ultra race has a cutoff and to finish the race you have to finish before the cutoff Okay. And that would, that would qualify you for Western States.
0: The year you ran Western States and you kind of, you talk about it in your Ted talk, um, the year that you talked about, cause how many times have you done Western States?
1: Uh, I've done Western States three times. The okay. one in my Ted talk was the second time running.
0: Okay. And in that race, um, can you kind of just, so you kind of let those first two things go or you didn't apply them like you had in your other races. Can you kind of tell everybody just what happened in that race?
1: I went out too hard, was running up with the top girls from the get-go. You do a four-mile climb out of Squaw Valley, and then you're in the backcountry for the first 30 miles, and then you drop into the canyons. And that's the physical aspect of the course that's the most challenging is the heat of those canyons. And that day, it was well into 100 degrees, potentially hotter down lower. And I was running way too fast for what I – my I have a governor on my system and I was not listening to it. Mm -hmm. Anyways, I came into the first aid station a little disoriented and rough around the edges, if you will. And my crew was amazing that day. Like I say in the Ted talk, they were like a NASCAR pit crew. Totally believe that. And they kind of kept having to piece me back together, whether they were pacing me or crewing me at the aid stations. And by the halfway point, I was, I believe, in fifth place and everybody in front of me was also, everybody but the winner was also melting in terms of how they were feeling. And fortunately, I had this crew that just wouldn't stop. I was, I was worried about my health, but I had told them before we got going that I wanted to, I wanted to finish and I wanted to win. And that was our goal. And we needed to move towards that. And they executed on that all day long and got me to the finish line. I then spent, um, I finished in second place. I was an hour off the, oh, wow. the lead woman. And, but then to I, I skip over that in the Ted talk because the, the point of it was, is I didn't really, I didn't perform well. Like mm-hmm. I then needed an IV and they called an ambulance because I fainted in the medical tent and there was all this drama around this finish. And that's not why I do the sport. I don't do it to destroy myself. I do it to to learn and grow and challenge and see what my boundaries are. And I guess I learned them that day. (laughs) So I I want to stay within those so that it's sustainable and I can keep doing this for a
0: long time. Do you think you could have prevented that? Had you not gone out so hard? Had you, I mean, hydrated sooner, better, or I mean, how could you have prevented that six hours in the medical tent?
1: I definitely was, I was racing lighter than I normally should in terms of what I was carrying.
0: I should Mm -hmm.
1: have had more, liquids on or fluids on board more ice on board taking a maybe a bit more time at the it took time with my at the aid stations that I had crew but then there's other aid stations out there that your crew can't get to and I was blowing through those just trying to stay racing and just those few precious it's seconds really that make a huge difference and those seconds that I didn't take uh, I believe led to that it was probably some form of heat exhaustion or heat stroke. I'm not sure. I thankfully it didn't go beyond. I did not have to go to the hospital. It just took some time to get my body to to respond to the retreatment I was receiving.
0: Well, I didn't know, and I know you said in your TED talk you you purposely skipped this because second place didn't. That's not the point. But I didn't mm-hmm. realize that you were second place in that. Then.
1: Yeah, I think I would much rather celebrate. In 2012, 13, 12, actually, which year was it? (laughs) 12 or 13? I went back to Western States and I ran my fastest time. I was an hour faster than that time in 2009. So I ran 18:29, I believe, and was fourth place. Wow! And I—that was a much better performance for me, not only because it was my 100-mile PR on a really difficult course. I finished and was like celebrating with my crew as opposed to puking in the tent. And I, I walked out of, you know, I walked away from the finish line smiling and that was a much better performance. So wherever you rank that, that was really evident to me that it's not about placement. Mm -hmm. It's about how my best, my best effort that day and my best time ever. That's what I got to celebrate.
0: As someone who is super competitive though, like how do you separate those? How do you separate that mentality? Because you know, you are so competitive, so you do want to win, but I mean, you do need to celebrate that PR and beyond whatever place you got, you know, like how do you separate those two things? Uh, The funny thing is I,
1: I I know I'm competitive because I want to see what I'm capable of and Mm -hmm. what's the, like the best part that I can do. And I feel like uh, one of the guys, Scott, Scotty Mills got up and gave a speech before one of the Western states and the word, like the Latin interpretation of competitive is with each other. So you're competing against each other to do the best. So I can, we can do better by being out there working with others as opposed to against others. So I, I like that definition of of competition rather than the idea that I'm trying to beat somebody else. And so I got the best performance out of myself that day racing against and with, I guess, racing with not against racing with women that had even better days than I did. And they ran harder because they knew I was back there doing the best I could. Hmm. That's, I guess. So when people say you're so competitive, maybe, but not in the how I think most people look at what competition is.
0: I love that so much. And people can take that. I I mean, I'm competitive with myself. I'm not super fast like you, but I think people can really take that lesson with them. And like, for instance, um, just last month, I was running a half marathon and there was a girl that was kind of bouncing back and forth with me. And I kind of in that last mile and I don't know looking back if I should have done this because people are weird about touching but I kind of gave her a little pat on the back and was like come on let's go like trying to get her to go with me um and after the fact she wasn't real friendly with me after the race so I don't know maybe I shouldn't have touched her (laughs) um but I, I think just like you're saying I was kind of like let's use each other to get to the finish line together as best as we can you know
1: Definitely. Yeah, that happened at Cascade Crest this year. That's such a great example. And like you said, you don't know how everybody's going to receive what you're saying Mm -hmm. or doing even like by touch. But that's the intention that can help you race better. And if somebody can receive that, awesome. We can't control how people view those those actions unfortunately
0: (laughs) well yeah and she might have just been kind of out of it or whatever after the race but who knows after the fact I was like oh I'm kind of a touchy person but maybe touching wasn't the right thing to do and we weren't it's not like we were like in uh gonna win you know gonna go one two in the race or anything we were kind of we're like back of the pack front of the packers if you know what I mean (laughs) got it yeah Um, I think it really can happen
1: anywhere in the field it doesn't It's not just for who's up front. We're all out there and we're all going to do better on a day when there's other people around as opposed to just going on our own training
0: runs. Well, and this kind of leads to me to one of the questions one of the girls doing Rim to Rim to Rim asked. And this is not specific to Rim to Rim to Rim, but um, she's the, her name's Casey and she's the one that kind of sh- uh, shared your video with everybody. She says, oh, "Okay, tell me about team and the value of having women around you. How do they up your game and make you stronger?
1: I guess. Sorry, I just started a bunch of little laundry. You probably won't be able to edit that out. That's okay. (laughs) Um, I well, first running is a very individual sport, and I feel a lot of times you get when you tell people you're a runner, you get this look or question like, "What are you running from?" Especially when it's distances like ultra runners do, like, "What are you running from?" Blah, Blah blah. I I feel like I've for myself been able to incorporate people in the running. Effort by like crew or pacers or sharing the adventures together. Um, a lot of my FKTs have fastest known times have been done with other women so that we can have that experience together. Yeah, I think it's for me, it's like having that external motivation. Like there's so much I can do with the power of my own mind, but then you add that on, like I get to see my crew at the next aid station so I can push for them or they're out here, they've dedicated their time, they're staying up all night, whatever it is that I can externally draw from to push myself to do more. I guess, I mean, that's, I guess there's different realms of how you can work together as a team, whether it's someone helping you do more by being your crew or support or doing it side by side, being out on training runs or in events that you've organized yourself. I thrive in community. I thrive in interaction and I get a lot of energy from that as a, as an extrovert. So I would, I guess I would throw that piece in there too, that other people get energy in different ways. So knowing yourself and how you interact with the world to, to get the most out of a situation. Some people do better when it's just themselves out there. And what I'm saying does not make any sense at all to, to how they might succeed in, in their running realm with that. So it's, yeah, it's knowing yourself on a personal level to know how either team aspect or individual aspect is going to get you your best result. So I make, yeah, it's kind of weird. It's kind of a different answer than, 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 than the realm, but I am of the same thinking as maybe that person asking the question is I really thrive with working with people.
0: So you mentioned the FKTs, which is the fastest known time. Um, and you've done that, is it the Tahoe Rim? That was the
1: most recent one, and yeah, September of 2015, I ran around like Tahoe, and it's also the longest one I've ever done.
0: So how long is that?
1: 165 miles.
0: And did you do that with another,
1: with a girlfriend? That was my solo, but I had a crew of 12 people there that supported me that day, and that I, I wrote an article about it. I've interviewed about it. That was a team effort. Like I would not have done what I did without their support.
0: And so why did you choose that particular, I want to call it an event, but I know it's not like an actual event, but like, yeah. why did you choose to do that in particular?
1: That trail. I love finding areas that I have a connection with. I have done all, ex- with the exception of one FKT attempt, and that one I was not able to finish was the John Muir Trail. Any other FKT attempt, I've done the trail in a slower, like more, I don't want to say enjoyable because they're both enjoyable, but at a slower pace that I really get to take in the area, know the area and experience it at a, say like three mile an hour pace, or like the Tahoe Rim Trail, we hiked the 165 miles in six days. Wow. So six days and some hours or whatever. Anyway, so having a previous experience on a trail and then, wanting to see it at a different pace. And it was, it was like a super emotional moment, actually, when we made it all the way around the lake, we had 13 miles to go. And I looked back, there's this one view that you get after the last pass, Aster Pass, I think it's called. Um, You look back and you can see the lake and it just blew my mind because I knew what it took to do in six days. That was an exhausting effort. And here we'd done it in less than two and we were like closing in on the finish. So just to have those those varying perspectives, that's what motivates me to, to shoot for these FKTs.
0: So when you say it took two days this time, what did that look like? Like how much were you running? How much were you walking? Did you stop and rest at all? Like as far as like sleep? Mm-hmm. Uh, my goal was to maintain
1: four miles an hour because that would give me a little bit of a cushion on the existing record. I was, a, um, so four miles an hour, you don't have to run that whole time. Like you just have to keep, keep moving. And three miles an hour is a pretty basic, a pretty standard walking pace. So okay. that I guess to give people an idea, I did sleep for 45 minutes in <laughs> Tahoe city at about a hundred miles into, I think it was a hundred or was it 70? I think it was 70 miles in. I, I slept for 45 minutes. And I had planned to sleep another half an hour to 45 minutes, but we were so charged up. We'd actually seen a bear and her cubs oh on the trail that we just kept going, which was <laughs> <That laughs> a good thing.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, speaking of that, then what do you do in that circumstance? Um, me, I'm a very curious
1: person when it comes to wildlife. My girlfriends that were with me at the time definitely freaked out and probably took the more sensible approach to the situation. I wanted to just keep going and they, they drew me back. We, we hung on the trail for a little bit and then took, uh, we stayed, we climbed up in the trees opposite side of the trail that they were on and took a parallel route. So just kept our eye on the trail and came down once we felt, once they felt it was safe. I never felt threatened by the bear which I think a lot of people um, probably think is somewhat crazy. It might have been because I was (laughs) 120 miles in and it was good that I had some some other perspective with me out there.
0: <laughs> You're like I'm dealing with some other things here with my body right now. Yeah, yeah the bear's beautiful. What are we worried about? It was at <laughs> night
1: too, so we actually couldn't all we could see was their eyes, which I oh, think that's man. a little creepier too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh man, that that's crazy. What are some It's of a the, funny story now. <laughs> yeah. What are some of the other crazy animal situations you've ran into in all of actually, your adventures? Yeah. I really don't
1: have that many. Um crazy incidents. I know like some people have seen cougars and cats and mine are pretty standard. I've jumped over a snake. No big deal. (laughs) Um, yeah, I, I don't have any super exciting stories in that realm. I guess, thankfully,
0: do you carry like, what kind of protection are you carrying out there? You know, in case you were to get attacked by an animal, what are you carrying to protect yourself?
1: Oh, actually that reminds me when I was in Glacier National Park, I ran with four guys, I believe it was. And they were carrying a couple bottles of mason. We did see a grizzly and that scared the group quite a bit. I was the one that wanted to take pictures, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, she was, she was super calm. And a friend of mine, I've done some running camps with up in Alaska. His name's Jeff Rose. He does the Alaska ultra running camps. He gave some great advice because black bears are, um, pretty common up in that area. And, he said, "Just approach the animal with the same energy that they're giving you. So if they're coming at you, curious and sniffing, and looking, do the same thing back. If they're getting aggressive, then yeah, get big. But don't get big if they're just being curious and startle them and create more energy. And I really like that approach, not only to animals but to life. Like, don't go at people with this crazy, you know, just show, just match what's match what's coming at you.
0: Yeah, that's good. I really like that." So, of all of your adventures, all of the crazy trails, like if you had to pick a favorite, what would it be?
1: Well, they're all different. For, Isn't that they're so all big? favorites. For Yeah, it's such a hard I, Yeah, you get asked that a lot. And I think everybody is curious. Like, when, what do you, for, for anything you're doing, like if you're, what's your favorite meal to cook? Like, everybody uh-huh. wants to know your favorite. Um,
0: or what, I guess, what is your, like, time. your top three or top five? Just like of, of all, the, all the races and trails and, Adventures you've gone on, like experience wise. Um, I oh, it's so silly. I always, I guess it's not so silly. I always love going back
1: to Cougar Mountain, which is where I very first tra- ran, mm. and it's been a big part of like coming home this mm-hmm. year. And live, and now I live right on the Chuckanut course, which is the race that I ran as my first ultra, and now I'm the race director for. Oh,
0: cool.
1: So those, like the fact that I get to run. You know, between here in Seattle, I get to run on all the places that I cut my teeth. Like that's a really special experience. Um, I pass my passport is my favorite possession. Like looking mm-hmm. back through all the stamps that I have from all over the world, and knowing that running has been the lens that I've explored every single one. Other than my trip to Ecuador in college, every stamp in my passport has been a running experience. Wow, that's so, so I think cool. That, that, that's a cool aspect of. That who would have thought that running would take you would all these be places. that significant in my life? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So when you're training for a hundred miler, do you generally? But do you generally do? Because I know you've done the Grand Slam, which we'll talk about that, and you can explain that to everybody a little bit. But do you generally run any back to back, or are you just like kind of constantly in shape for that distance?
1: Oh, I'm. Yeah, no, hundred milers. And as I get older, honestly, they're harder and harder to uh-huh. recover from.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, other than the grand, I mean, the grand slam there was. And then in 2000, gosh, was it 12 or 13? Um, when I ran Western States, I also did turned around three weeks later and ran hard rock. And then a couple weeks, maybe four, four or six weeks later, ran UTMB. So that was another big year of extra long mm-hmm. races, if you will. I also feel that the training for and racing those longer distances takes a bigger toll, not only on our muscles, like at this point, having raced events for as long as, you know, 15, 20 years, I, I feel like the, my body is trained to do it. What's continues. The, is the hardest part to recover is those systems that we can't see, like the nervous system, the endocrine system, the immune system. And I, I, definitely try and put a lot of energy into recovering those systems. Mm-hmm. So which I guess in answer to your question is I, I don't feel like I can do as many of them back to back to back mm-hmm. like I used to when I was younger.
0: So when you're training for a hundred miler, what is, what is your weekly mileage look like?
1: Um, I have a system that I learned um, working with a doctor and it's actually how I coach people as well. It's how the book's written is uh, these phases where you uh, work hard for three weeks building on top of each week and then take a recovery week. So I'm actually at the end of one of those building phases right now. I've run 70, 75. And then this week I'm, I'll finish up tomorrow or today. Actually, when we get off the phone, I'll go do my last run for this building phase, um, to get just over 80 miles for this week. And then, uh, for the next, you know, six to seven days, I'll take some downtime and maybe run 20 to 30 miles in that amount of times or total for the whole for that period. So that allows the body to adjust to the workload. Uh-huh. And so for a hundred miler that, that build phase, the biggest one would add the last week of that would be at or around a hundred miles. Okay. Um, but I, I rarely run like in just like regular training, I'm more like a 50 to 60 mile a week percent.
0: Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And you know, I really like that kind of training just for a marathon training in general. And I, I find that if I don't take a cutback week somewhere around that fourth week, like you're saying, my body is just screaming at me. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, yeah. Yeah. And another thing that I think is really important. And if, you know, if when I write another book, of that kind of training bit is the core aspect, it's like really training the the core muscles. So weight training, if you will, some people use CrossFit, some people use fitness classes, whatever element will get you to do other strengthening besides just your running miles. Mm-hmm. That's been a huge element in terms of staying healthy and sustainable for lots of years. And I've added more and more, especially in the last like two years, it's become a really key element to what I, to staying healthy. Cause how, it's, how it's harder often? to recover from injury as you get older. Well, <laughs> you yeah. get injured. It takes a lot more time. You don't bounce back. Like I, I don't bounce back like I used to.
0: Totally. What, how often do you like, do you do some strength training stuff like twice a week?
1: At le- yeah, minimum. And then I try and also incorporate a yoga class, which I strength and flexibility comes from that.
0: Gosh, I try to do yoga too. And it's so, if I, if I give up one thing, it's always yoga. And I know I shouldn't, you know, <laughs> I know it's yeah, so even good. Just
1: like foam rolling or something, but
0: yeah, that's good to hear
1: that you incorporate it. I, yeah, all runners, I hope if there's a takeaway is some form of like strength and flexibility. So maybe yoga and the mindfulness and all that doesn't really work for you. That's fine. But just find some form of, um, strength and flexibility training.
0: Well, and it's interesting to me that you say you're, you naturally or normally you're more of a 50 to 60 mile a week person because I feel like a lot of straight up marathon runners are running those distances. And to hear that coming from an ultra runner, how do you, and I know you peak out way higher than that when you're training for a hundred miler, but how do you turn that into, okay, I'm going to go run a hundred miles at once now? Are you running lots of back to back long runs?
1: Yeah, definitely. That's a good way to train more. I mean, obviously the physical aspect, but also your mind Mm -hmm. like that. I can keep moving when I'm sore or my muscles are talking to me or whatever it is that you're feeling on that second or third day of back to back long runs. Mm -hmm. And also, I I mean, you can't just like 15 or 16, 17 years of training for these things. So there's, um, there's like muscle memory and deeper deeper training and years of experience that I'm able to draw
0: on mm-hmm. now. And that just comes with time. And when you mentioned the mental aspect of that, um, can you talk about that a little bit? Cause I mean, I think there's definitely got to be some crazy mental hurdles you're going through when you're at mile, what 75, 80 of a hundred miler. But I mean, I think even people who are running marathons get into that pit when they're at mile, 19 or 20 and they have six miles to go, you know, like what do you tell yourself when you're at that point in your race?
1: I think it's probably really similar. Um, and mostly it's, you just have to do it more times. Like maybe you'll, like you said, you might have it like mile 19 or whatever. So I probably have it at mile 19 and then I have it again at mile 40. And Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. so it's just kind of keep working through and like I said in my TED talk, like I chose to be out here, and I can either choose to be really grumpy about it, or you know, or feel the pain that's coming with it, which I think is important too. Like you can't just ignore what's happening, so acknowledge it, work with it, figure out what it is that's causing it, and see if you can ride it so that you can enjoy the experience again.
0: That's really good, and I think that people forget that because you get to a certain point in your race, and you're like. Why am I doing this to myself? Like I signed up for this.
1: Right. Yeah. I try not to think that to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> because if I'm thinking that I'm like, well, maybe this I need to back off from this whole thing. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, okay, so I want to talk about Grand Slam. At the time when you did it, you were the were you the youngest person or female to complete the Grand Slam? Female. Okay. So can you tell everybody what that is?
1: The Grand Slam is the four oldest 100-mile races. So we already talked about Western states. That's the first one in the series. And then soon after – actually, I'm not sure how old Vermont. Vermont, Wasat – or Vermont, Leadville, and Wasats are the subsequent 100-milers that make up the Grand Slam. And there was a guy named Tom Green that, at the time, those were the only 100-milers in the United States. Now there's – there's got to be over 200, 100 milers in the United States alone now. Um, there was only there was only four hundred milers, and he ran all of them. And they happen depending on the year in a about a ten week period. Sometimes it's nine weeks, sometimes it's eleven weeks apart. So you're constantly just on recovery mode and getting ready for the next event.
0: I have a. Have you done Badwater?
1: I have not done Badwater. I consider myself more of a trail runner than a road
0: runner. Oh, true, true. Okay, yeah. I have a friend. I have a girl that came on this podcast that, um, she was the youngest female at the time to complete Badwater. Oh wow! Yeah, and she was the person that introduced me to this the Grand Slam. And she kind of she's since had two babies, and she's kind of okay. trying to figure out what her goal is post this most recent baby. And um, she mentioned this Grand Slam. So, oh, right on. Yeah. Um, it's a lot to take on, not
1: just the training and the running 400 milers, but the travel and
0: mm-hmm. the expense
1: and stuff. It's definitely, there's more to it. It, it makes a, a huge endeavors on m- many life fronts,
0: yeah. not just the running. Now, you talk about your race crew a lot. hmm How, obviously, for these big races, like, they're so important. But, you know, when you talk about the Tahoe Rim that you did... Tell me what your race crew is doing for you. Are are some people running, you know, like twenty mile stretches with you? What does that look like? Um, yeah, the, yes.
1: All of the above. They um <laughs> they get they're driving in in that event, they were driving in a train that they'd never been. They'd never they didn't know that a lot of them didn't know that area very well. Um they're cooking food on the tailgate. <laughs> the, I, I really just put the as much as I could into their hands so that I could just focus on running. Like all I had to do was Mm -hmm. one foot in front of the other. I, they told me to eat something. I ate it. I tried not to have too much of a, I guess, opinion about it. My job was to run that day and it was really cool to like work together that way I mean, when do you get in a physical experience like that? Like, yeah, we, we work together in like office settings or on projects and things, but to work with one person's physicality and see what is possible. I, it was pretty cool to have them all play into that. And I had somebody running with me all the time. So every mile there was somebody with me and two of the girls ran 70 miles in those two days. So there was a lot of, um, physical and like nobody slept. All of us were like awake that whole time. I guess other than my 45 minute nap, I guess (laughs) they went to the beach for a little bit and got, got some like afternoon Z's, but nothing like nothing that qualifies as sleep. So it's, it's a huge demand on everybody's part or it was for that event.
0: So what compels you to run so far and to keep taking on these big endeavors?
1: I Honestly, it's less, I, there's, they're they're still there and I'm still like motivated to train. I don't have any races coming up right now, but I'm, you know, finishing up an 80 mile week. So people are like, why are you training? (laughs) So what are you doing? Yeah, you're doing something. So, I mean, I still enjoy the physicality of it. And, um, I, 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 I think it's, it's a part of who I am. Like Mm. who knew I would grow up to be an ultra runner? Like that didn't, that was definitely not one of the check boxes that you had an option of in grade school or high school (laughs) or even applying for college. Um, yeah, it's just become such an instrumental part of who, who I am. It keeps me going.
0: (laughs) I feel like there's, it's getting a little bit more, um, well known and talked about ultra running itself. Do you feel like it's getting more competitive out there? Oh, definitely. And it's
1: getting a lot younger. Yeah. When I got into the sport at 21, I was an anomaly. That was not common, especially being female and as young as, as young as I was running my first ultra. So now the younger, younger uh, generation is getting into the sport. And like the benefit that I receive, you cover faster when you're younger. Mm -hmm. So you're able to do more and run, you know, the speeds that your body capable of at that are faster than the ones that are in their um, later years. The age of the sport when I got into it was 47. Wow. And now I, I would guess that number is significantly lower with how many, just the, the rise of the sport. The older generations are still staying involved and getting involved and starting later, but there's also a huge younger contingent as a part of the sport.
0: But do you still feel like ultra running is just like, I just, it just from the outside looking in and I've been at lots of events, but do you feel like it's, it is more community oriented than other racing scenes?
1: I enjoy it for that aspect for sure. The experience that you have going that far Mm -hmm. just kind of draws everybody together and it doesn't matter if you come across the line first or second Mm or 31st or a hundred, you know, like everybody had a crazy experience out there. And I think that draws, draws more of a community. You want to share those stories, no matter where you finished in the field.
0: So you kind of mentioned you're, you're chilling right now with your 80 mile weeks. (laughs) Do you, Oh, I wouldn't say
1: chilling. It's hard for me. Yeah, (laughs) I definitely have, I, I was joking with my boyfriend last night saying that like, I get tired of chewing, like I have to eat all the time. And he's like, Oh you poor thing, what a hard <laughs> what a hard life. Yeah, you know, I'm it's totally like joking, but it's it definitely still takes a toll on my body. I'm it's it doesn't just come naturally to get to run eighty miles a week.
0: Well, okay, I had a question, but now now that you mentioned that I wanna ask you, what does your diet look like? Are you what do you eat? Um, whole foods. Anything
1: that I can picture where it came from. Uh-huh. I'm totally game. And, um, and sometimes that includes some serious soul food, like having a serving of ice cream at uh-huh. night or the other day I went out with some girlfriends and I really was craving a burger and I've learned like if my body's that insistent, I need to listen because mm. it doesn't mm. happen all the time. I'm, I'm not a, <laughs> that doesn't always sound good. Like I can't process that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, yeah, I, I just listen to what my body's. Saying, especially
0: when I'm in high training, like, yeah,
1: with lots of miles.
0: So you're not a vegetarian? Nope. I feel like that's common in the ultra scene. Or am I just making a complete? Uh, am I just like making a complete judgment on ultra runners? <laughs>
1: um, I think it's just kind of people are always curious about what they can do with their diet, uh-huh. and I don't think it's just specific ultra runners. I feel like a lot Ooh. of people are just you know kind of testing realms of what they can do, and there's so many different diets and whether they're fat or not people it's just a curiosity of what what best fuels our body so I wouldn't put a pendant on ultra running I just say that's pretty common of yeah humans that are curious about it about how their body works
0: so with your 80 mile weeks right now what are you doing what's your what's your next goal what do you I mean I know you're you kind of said you're you don't have a big thing going on right now but what's mm. something's on your mind right I'm not, honestly, I need mm-hmm. to, I need to like
1: put some energy towards that piece. I, like I said, I'm the race director of the Chuckin' at 50k, which was over a month ago now, but that's, that's a huge focus of mine through the winter. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I can't think beyond it until I get through it. It's all consuming because I put a lot of heart and soul into it. Um, and so now it's time to start thinking about what the rest of the year looks like. And that excites me
0: yeah that's awesome did your boyfriend is he an ultra runner no 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 (laughs) so does he understand your level of well you say in your TED talk some people call you crazy but you call yourself lucky does he understand how lucky you Mm. are (laughs) I think so yeah Yeah. he gets it okay so I'm gonna wrap up with some end of the podcast I always do just some random fun questions what is one thing you'd like to do professionally or personally that you haven't done yet
1: um, they kind of go together is go to New Zealand. I okay. can't believe that I have not explored that country on foot yet. So I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully kick off my 40th year.
0: Oh nice. I guess so I'm in my
1: 40th year now. To celebrate my 40th year, how about that? So soon. Yes.
0: And will you find a race there or will you just kind of explore around?
1: I would like to just explore. If a race was there or going on when I happened to be there, I would definitely love to experience it that way too.
0: Do you now? on that note, you know, if you say, would you just jump in? Do you get nervous for races?
1: Oh, definitely. Okay. I figure if you're not nervous, you shouldn't be there. You need to respect what you're doing. Nervousness to me is respect. I think it's a good thing. You need to harness it and not waste, waste a lot of energy on it. But, um, yeah, it's a, I think it's a good thing.
0: How do you keep yourself from not wasting energy on it?
1: I just focus it. So use that energy on planning getting gear ready, talking to um, people that are going to be involved in the race. In my case, it's usually crew. Um, And I I, I have a hard time calling what I do meditating, but that's how most people would relate to it. it. Visualization, Mm -hmm. reading through the course description, thinking about how I want to feel at certain points along the event course, interacting with people. How do I want to approach it? Am I smiling? Am Mm -hmm. I – hopefully, that's usually the goal, but (laughs) –
0: if you had one message to send to the world, what would it be? Smile. <laughs> Very good. Like it. Um, anything you're loving right now?
1: I'm really loving that we're finally getting sun. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> it's been a dark winter in Washington. <laughs> if you could have coffee or a cocktail with anyone in the world, who would it be?
1: All sorts of people pop into mind.
0: I don't know if I can answer that. It's, yeah,
1: there's, I, 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 I really make a huge effort to spend time and connect and catch up with the people that are close to me. And sometimes that doesn't happen. And those are the ones that come to mind when you say that.
0: Mm-hmm. So just, I
1: guess, yeah, anybody close to me that I need, I need that to reconnect with.
0: What's the best, most recent book you've read?
1: I'm reading The Tipping Point
0: right now by Malcolm Gladwell,
1: which I'm really enjoying. And I just finished A Dog's Purpose, which was super sweet because I just got a pup a couple months ago. And I really, there's a movie out about, um, based on the book as well. I need to go see the movie, but I, um, I loved the perspective that that author took. Is that your first dog? Yeah, pretty much. Yes. Oh, wow. And, and, yeah.
0: That's special.
1: Yeah. She's a sweetheart. She just jumped up on my lap <laughs> <Aww.
0: laughs> or next to me. Yeah. Yeah. We've had our dog for nine years. there's
1: <laughs> <so big>. are <laughs> <laughs> Hey buddy. I was in, I was talking, oh, that was like on cue. What, Somebody well, just walked by the window.
0: Like, what's your? Is it a girl or a boy? She's a little girl. Her name's Petey for oh. Piedra Dora, which
1: means hard rock, which is one of our races in oh, the ultrarunning yeah. community.
0: Oh yeah, I love that. I love <laughs> that it's a girl and her name is Petey because it's kind of a masculine name, but I love that. <laughs> what? Oh, that's probably why people get confused. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I kind of like I kind of like male names for females though in in uh, humans mm. and dogs. I don't know why.
1: Oh well, PD is the initials for Piedra, which means Piedra means rock in Spanish. Okay. And and the a on the end of a Spanish noun means it's feminine, so it actually does. It is
0: a feminine name. You really <laughs> put
1: some P-D into it. Sounds yeah.
0: like PD. Well, a trail runner, rock. That whole uh-huh. thing. Yeah, makes sense. No. What is um What is a nonprofit you like to support?
1: I currently work with the conservation Alliance, which was a nonprofit that I actually was an employee of for a couple of years. So I still give a donation to them through the race every year. And I love girls on the run. I'm not, um, currently as active, but I'm, um, I make donations to them through the race. And a lot of my close friends are coaches for girls on the run. So I w- Imagine I will find myself back out there. I was a coach for them in 2007. That's when I first learned about that organization.
0: Oh, cool! Do they have teams near you?
1: Um, yes, there is one here in Whatcom County, and one just started over in Anacortes by a friend of mine. And it's a it's a national inter, uh, national organization, and it works for to connect girls to running, ages I think eight to thirteen, and learn a lot of like life skills lessons, like body image and how to be nice to your friends and mm-hmm. you learn all of that through running, which what a great gift. I feel like running has been that for me for so many years and to have that become so instrumental in a young girl's life it seems like a really good mission. The crazy part about it is you go and coach for this organization and you think, Oh, I'm going to give so much to these girls. They give way more back. You receive such an amazing like burst of just what it is to work with, with um, that
0: age. Mm-hmm. I think that the school actually across the street from our house, I've seen them out practicing, their girls on the run team. Are they, I oh, think, right on. Like the fifth and sixth graders, I think that that's the age that they're doing it over there. Um, yeah, that sounds
1: about right. Yeah,
0: I've never, I've never volunteered or been involved, but I've heard, I know a lot of people that have, and I've heard a lot of great things. Um, for some reason, I picture you living on top of a mountain in a cabin, like really far away from schools. <sighs> <laughs>
1: No, I am um, right in the heart of a small community called Fairhaven, which is just south of Bellingham. Okay. Um, and actually live in a condo. Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) Not you, you, you're closer to what my visualization of myself is. Um, (laughs) than there's the reality of life and moving around and traveling a lot and needing access.
0: Right, right. That's understandable. Well, um, okay. One last question to anybody that's listening. That's, running a race this weekend no matter the distance what what's your best advice to them
1: Uh, that same one you said before the message is to smile like go out Mm -hmm. there with the intention to to enjoy the experience yeah it's going to be hard and challenging and what am I going to learn from it what am I taking away from this kind of approach it with that optimism and see what you get out of the experience
0: Well, Chrissy, enjoy the rest of your day and I appreciate you talking to me today. Yeah, thanks for taking the time, Lindsay.
1: I always enjoy getting to dig into all this stuff.
0: All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode today. Thanks, Chrissy, for coming on the show. You guys can find all the information that I talked about in this episode in the show notes, lindseyhine.com. So I asked you to stick around to the very end. So I mentioned this in the mid-roll spot next Friday, May 26th, at 6.30 p.m. at the Ursey Family YMCA, I am recording a very special podcast episode with Samantha Smith, and it's probably going to be a little bit emotional, but a lot inspiring, and I'd love to have anybody that is local here to Indianapolis to come hang out with us and um, check out what a recording's like, what one of these podcast recordings is all about. The other big news is um, tickets for my big live show are going on sale today. So the big live show is gonna be Saturday, September 30th in the evening, and the cool thing is, you guys, if you don't live in Indy, this is the perfect reason to travel here. The Indianapolis Women's Half Marathon is that same day. So the Indy Women's Half Marathon is a fun, fast, flat course, it's an all women's race. So come book your trip, come down Friday night, stay the night downtown. and the half marathon in the morning, to your hotel, rest, recover, relax a little bit, and then come celebrate with me. Come celebrate with me and three returning guests from the show. I'm going to be joined by three guests who have already been on this podcast. We are going to do so, there's going to be a social hour where there's going to be beer and wine and appetizers and dessert, and then we're going to do an hour live show. We'll open up the floor for some questions, and it's just going to be a really fun social hour. So, grab a girlfriend. And someone to travel here with and you guys Indianapolis rocks come hang out in my city it's gonna be a blast link to the tickets to come to the show are in the show notes of this episode at lindseyhine.com get your tickets before June 15th and get the early bird price alright that's it I'm so excited oh and did you want me to tell you who the guests are I'm going to be joined with Mary Johnson michelle gonzalez and maggie dials can't wait all right you guys if you're loving the show i would so appreciate it if you would leave me a rating and a review on itunes i have to plug it at some point in the episode it's getting it i'm getting it in on the tail end but if you haven't done that yet i would so appreciate it and also if you're loving it share it with one of your friends that would be super helpful in my mission to uh get the word out there you guys can follow me on Instagram, lindseyhine626. You can follow me on Twitter, at Lindsay Hine, And you can find me on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. I think that's all I have for you. So you guys have a wonderful weekend. As always, I'll see you next Friday.